we figured the first thing we needed to do was find a place to put our tiny houses. So we spent six months researching any possible place. We visited over 50 sites. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 169 with Betsy Barber. My guest today is Betsy Barber. Betsy's tiny dreams began in 2017. After downsizing and selling her condominium, she moved into her 200-square-foot tiny home in 2019. She has since lived in three unique communities and two states. Betsy has become passionate about tiny house advocacy and community development. On today's show, we'll talk about the different kinds of communities that Betsy has found across the eastern United States, the wins and challenges that tiny living has presented for Betsy, and more. I hope you stick around. I'd like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Precision Temp. Precision Temp is making one product to solve two issues that I know everyone deals with in a tiny house running out of hot water, and heating your tiny house. Precision Temp has made the amazing Twin Temp Junior propane tankless water heater, which provides unlimited hot water for your tiny house and hydronic heating. This means you get warm, heated floors so there are no cold spots. It's designed specifically for tiny houses and features whisper-quiet operation as well as high efficiency. If you want more information on how Precision Temp can help make living tiny easier, and more comfortable, visit precisiontemp.com. While you're there, use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. That website again is precisiontemp.com, coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. I am here with Betsy Barber. Betsy grew up in small town America, spent three decades in Africa, including living off grid in a rural village for 10 years. Now based in the US, her day job through her business, Global Skills, focuses on cross cultural communications and global community building. Drawing on her experiences, she is developing a subsidiary called Tiny Circles, working towards sustainable tiny community design and development. A believer in lifelong learning and the power of community, Betsy loves to network, helps moderate several online tiny forums, and frequently participates in tiny house events. She is also helping on a tiny house build while actively dreaming about her next tiny house and establishing a diverse, affordable tiny house community for workforce and retired residents. Betsy Barber, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ethan. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. We've we've known each other for several years now because you're you're very active in the online community that I helped to host um, called Tiny House Engage, and I've just loved kind of following following your journey. Uh, obviously, you joined after you were living tiny, but I was hoping maybe we could start with with having you tell us about your your tiny story. Why did you you know why did you decide to go tiny? Well. Back in 2017, um, actually, my son mentioned to me um, with concern that uh, he was wondering if I was doing some planning for the future. (laughs) 
I had a condominium at the time, which was kind of nickel and diming me. So I decided to look into options and I came across tiny houses that was in the fall, I mean, the spring of 2017. So I just started looking online and, and seeing what was out there and pretty quickly got completely um, converted in a sense. So um, I, I put my condo on the market in 2017 and it actually took a year to sell, Wow, which was okay because during that year, and we'll maybe talk about this later, I did a lot of networking and community building, tiny house community kind of early, early stages of community building. And I hope the audio is okay. There's a guy literally weed whacking out my window right now. <laughs> um, anyway, welcome to my tiny community. So then I actually did find a builder in the summer of 2018. Went with him for my design, more or less, but then decided not to use him. So I went with a second builder then and ended up going with him. Um, my house was built with custom design input for me in fall of 18, and I moved in in January of 2019. Nice. So I love that, you know, for most people, when, you know, your son maybe was thinking, are you going to sell your, your condo and maybe think about like where you're going to live after that? And you're like, I'm going to move into something that maybe you didn't realize was going to take more maintenance and more work to, to kind of keep going than, than your condo. But, but much less money. So that was the, that was the key to that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now I'm sure that, that living in a off-grid rural village for 10 years helped to prepare you for tiny living, but maybe you could, could you talk a little bit about how, how it prepared you? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, actually, our house that we ended up building, this was in, a, in, in a West Africa, and we did actually build our own house because we knew we were going to be there long term. So the house itself was not tiny. It was probably about 800 square feet, maybe. It was small, but not uh -huh. tiny. However, the off-grid part, I think, really helped me to just appreciate the lifestyle of being less dependent on really anything around you. And I think that's a great preparation for tiny living and also tiny community building to kind of make your lifestyle work with the community where you are. We were totally off grid. And uh, it was it was also um, an introduction for me to solar. Um, we had one solar panel um, that was about as big as a small, very small TV set, which ran our computer and our fan. It may sound odd that we had a computer in those circumstances, but our work enabled us to have cutting edge computer technology. Even that was a long, long time ago, almost 35 years ago. Now, what what kind of work were you doing there? Yeah, this was linguistic work. So we were working on documenting uh, languages and the language that we worked on specifically for those 10 years was a language that that was not written. It actually it had begun to be written, but we were responsible for establishing the alphabet and then establishing books and doing all that needs to be done to have a literature available for the speakers of that language. Wow. And is that complete now? Well, it'll never be complete because once you have a literature, you can always add to it. But yes, we've reached a critical mass, which was our goal for 
um, a literate population and also basic educational materials and uh-huh. and and literate uh, and talented, very talented national uh, writers in their own languages. So cool, cool. So um, how are you? You meant in the bio, it kind of talks about that you're you know you're kind of drawing on these experiences to develop tiny circles. Um, so can you tell us about you know what is tiny circles? Yeah, Tiny Circles is going to be a community design kind of uh, program, process. Actually, I do three things. I do profile, process, and program. So basically, Tiny Circles, um, the profile is that we look at what type of community um, people are interested in, and we do community building activities. We also look at our current community, our experiences from current community. Mm-hmm. And then when we get into process, we start looking at the dynamics of community building. And then when we go to program, we actually look at how is it going to happen? You know, what are the what are the specifics? Right. So that's basically what Tiny Circles is. And it's, it's at the very beginning stages. But a lot of what I've done so far is the networking and the kind of online community building, which to me is a big part of being a part of the kind of national and global tiny house community. Yeah. Okay. So when you say community building and community development, you're talking more about the the interpersonal, the nitty gritty of community, not so much the like, okay, the tiny house is going to go here and the septic line is going to run there like architectural community development. Yeah, I mean, I won't be doing that because that's not my area of expertise, but certainly we would have a land designer um, as part of the team and looking at kind of all the different aspects. I'm a, I'm a very big believer in putting together a team of specialists and experts. Mm-hmm. So we would draw in, and even for the community building part of it, we would be drawing in people like Jill Canto, who does, a lot of uh, training for intentional community. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a bringer together type person. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, you you definitely play that role nicely in Tiny House Engage. Um, just oh, well, thank helping you. connect people with other people who might be able to to answer their questions. And and I'm so glad that you mentioned Jill Canto. She actually was a guest on the podcast quite a long time ago, but I think her interview still holds up um, just all about kind of finding or starting intentional communities, um, which would be episode 42 um, for anybody who's curious to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And she actually, she's living her own life right now. She, I believe she's joined the Tiny House Engage community and she is building a community now herself. Oh, fantastic. I, I didn't realize that she was building her own community. Um, that's exciting. I'm, I'm going to have to have her back on the show to, to yeah. catch up on that. <laughs> it's interesting when you, when you say tiny house community, that could encompass anything from an RV park where you just pay your rent and get your spot all the way up to an intentional community where, you know, everybody's doing a community garden together and like watching each other's children. So. When you think of community for yourself, of what kind of where you're looking to live in your tiny house or your ideal, what is that for you? 
For me, it definitely is more on the end of an intentional community Mm -hmm. where we've come together on a particular piece of property. It could be an old RV park for sure, but that we would come together and design both the infrastructure, the physical plant, as well as the interpersonal, as you mentioned before. And I would very much like to that to include people that are interested in sustainability, that it's attainable for all of us. None of us are, are way beyond our budgets, so to speak, in terms of where we're living, what we're doing, that type of thing. And if, if we are, then we're helping each other move in directions of having goals along those lines. And I did mention in the description that I'm very interested in focusing on the workforce population and also the retirement, uh, early, early retirement. I myself am retirement age in about six months, but I will not be retiring. So for those of us that don't have that option anytime soon to move in those directions. Do you envision the the workforce and the retired residents kind of all coexisting in, in one community? Or are you thinking that these are separate visions? Well, I really like the model of hybrid communities where you might have neighborhoods uh-huh. where you might have workforce that might have families with young children, for instance, because I know retirees in particular from experience that I've had with many, many friends and also living in Southwest Florida, not often a good mix necessarily with retirees and, and people with small children. But if you have the different neighborhoods and you have kind of boundaries, I think that works really nicely because then you've got that cross-fertilization of multi-generational, which is really valuable. Nice. Nice. So you, when, when we first met, you were living in Florida and then you relocated to Pennsylvania and now word has it that you're, you're considering a move back to Florida. So can you, can you kind of fill in the, the details of that, of that journey? Well, I bought my, I was based in Southwest Florida um, when I began this journey and I bought my house in Florida. It was actually built in Florida. And um, the community that I found was not where I was based. I wanted to live on the Southwest Gulf Coast, but, but there wasn't anything available that was, again, affordable and, and for me, sustainable. So I went to Central Florida and I was in actually two communities over the next year and a half and planning on just hanging out there. However, with COVID, all of our plans changed in many ways. And I have a son and daughter-in-law and grandchild in Pennsylvania. And in September, it became very clear that we needed to be together as a family for the duration of the, of, you know, the pandemic. So I came up here, moved my house and, and uh, worked out super well. So that would have been the third time the house had been moved. And then now, having gone through what I consider a very harsh winter, although you would not agree with that, <laughs> um, we had a lot of snow, it was very cold, and my house really was supposedly designed to be all weather, but it's really not. This, this house that I'm in, it needs to be um, in, a, in a more temperate climate. So yes, I'm going to make some kind of a move. I'm not sure what yet, um, what that'll look like, but I want to be back in Florida for winter. Yeah, I think that's great to, to kind of a warning to put out there to people is just like to understand the climate that your house is being built for 
And if a builder tells you that this will work in any climate, ask more questions. <laughs> Definitely. And the builder, by the way, was a Florida native. So, <laughs> right. What kind of issues did you experience in the cold in your tiny house? Yeah. Well, actually, it winterized really well. The things that I was able to do, I do have an in wall um, AC. I do not have a mini split. So I have an in wall AC, which I winterized by covering it interior and exterior. We did a very clever little thing with my, the end of my plumbing track, I guess you would call it. I don't know the technical term, but uh-huh. my toilet is the end of my plumbing track. And so we rigged it so it had a very, very slow, constant leak in the tank. And so that kept my pipes good all winter, despite the fact that I do have some exterior piping and other houses right around me, their pipes did freeze. Mm. So that was great. I also have a heated intake for my drinking water. And we brought that up into the house. The the, um, actual nozzle was outside the house, but we pulled that up into the house. Okay. And then I had two space heaters, which, which worked okay. Got it. Okay. So you, you kind of had to do a little bit of a hodgepodge for heating. Yes. Yes. And that, unfortunately, for some reason that I'm still researching, my six panel house actually radiates the exterior temperature. It's partially thermal bridging, but I really don't think that's the whole issue. There's something else going on. So anywhere that I'm near a wall, which is pretty much everywhere in my house since it's so small, I'm I'm having cold coming in hmm. when it's cold out. So that was that was the main challenge all winter. Yeah. So it sounds like the house is maybe just under insulated for a cold climate. Yes, that would be the general I, I guess that would be the general terminology for it. Yeah. Right, because if your your metal sips, you don't have any studs, so there shouldn't be any studs creating thermal bridging. So I, I it sounds to me like it's just like not enough insulation. Yeah, the type of SIPS panel. I mean, SIPS panels can work. I mean, your minimally. Oh yeah. Uh, example: They use SIPS panels up in Quebec. So for goodness' sake. Oh yeah. So it's, there's something going on there that I need right. to understand better. But what foam they put in that SIPS panel makes a big difference. Yes, and also what type of framing it has with the yep. with the inter- interior and exterior. Yeah. Absolutely. So you just um, embarked on on a road trip and i don't know that anybody that i've heard of has ever done anything like this yet although i guess there really aren't it's only recently that that you could go on a road trip in florida and visit multiple tiny house communities yes um tell me about the trip well actually i'll i'll preface that with another trip it was actually not a trip it was six months worth of research that I did when I first got interested in tiny houses. Because what we did was, and I I met up when I first got interested, I wasn't even on social media. I'm still very, very little on social media, but I did go on and I found somebody who who had already set up a Facebook group for tiny houses in the neighboring county. So I, she and I became very good friends and we're actually tiny house business partners at this point. Anyway, we figured the first thing we needed to do, as is so often said, was find a place to put our tiny houses. So we spent six months researching any 
possible place in our region. And that would be a two county region, uh, Lee and Collier counties in Southwest Florida. We visited over 50 sites. Those were RV communities, those were mobile home communities, and those were properties that were for sale. And in many of those sites, we talked to the people that owned them or managed them. Mm -hmm. So I have a pretty good idea of what's out there in that region of Southwest Florida. Then I moved to Central Florida when I got my house. And so I have a pretty good idea of what's available in Central Florida on really from coast to coast. So this time, what I needed to do is find out what my options were for my next move. And so I reconnected with several of the communities that were possibilities way back four years ago, mm -hmm. which actually is a very long time in terms of what's been happening in the last four years. When we first started, you could not go into most communities, mobile home, RV in Florida, and say you had a tiny home you were interested because they would immediately say, no, no, we don't allow tiny homes. Mm -hmm. We literally did not mention it until well into the conversation. These days, though, we've got a lot of openness. We've got a lot of interest. And so I went back and visited, I think, about four or five of the options that I'm still considering for my next move. And um, it was great. It was great to see what's going on. Still don't have the perfect situation, but that's another maybe key for this whole power of community. You have to be patient. And sometimes you know what you want and you're headed in the right direction, but the timing is not yours. You're not in control necessarily of that. So we have to be patient and it's paying off little by little. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the sponsor for today's show, Precision Temp. One of the hardest things about being in my tiny house in the winter is that the floors are really cold. And I could have solved that problem by adding more insulation, but the reality is that a tiny house on a trailer is always going to have cold floors or much colder floors than you're used to if you are coming from a house that has a basement or is even built on a slab. So the Precision Temp Twin Temp Junior propane tankless water heater can actually help solve this problem because you can install heated floors in your house. And you can do it with the same appliance that provides you with unlimited hot water. So the Twin Temp Junior really does solve two issues with one appliance, which, let's be honest, in a tiny house, space matters, cost matters, and just being more intentional. So you get to use one appliance for two purposes. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP at checkout. Head over to their website, precisiontemp.com, for more information on how Precision Temp can help make tiny living easier and more comfortable. And while you're there, be sure to use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thanks so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. Yeah, well, so can you maybe give us some highlights, maybe a couple of the communities that you did visit in Southwest Florida? Yes. Well, there's one that's not yet. It's a, it's a property. I'm sorry. It is an RV mobile home community. They have no tiny houses yet, but the owners 
are interested, but there's a generational consideration going on. So the younger uh-huh. part of the owners who will be the future owners are interested. Okay. So I touch base with them. I do that about every six months. And they, um, they've actually done some development of, of the infrastructure with the, with the thought that they're going to be having a tiny house community there. And they've also done happily, the gentleman, one of the gentlemen is, he's a, he's a professional certifier, but he's also on the zoning board. Okay. So it's, so that was a great, it was just great to touch base and see that that's still a good possibility. Another community that I visited was one that I can afford. It's a mobile home community. I know a lot about it because a friend uh, lives there in an RV. Can you share the names of, of these communities? I'm afraid at this point, I'm not free to do that. They're not really available Okay. for, uh, well, especially the first one I just mentioned. The second one, to be really honest with you, I don't have the name of it on the top of my head. It's a mobile home community, and maybe it's, it's just as well for this example, because it really showed me, in a sense, the reality of my situation, because I have a limited income and a limited budget. Mm-hmm. And this community is what I can afford, but it's not nice like I would like it to be. So it's, it's a place that I would have to kind of grow into in terms of mm-hmm. thinking about living there. I know it's safe, which is important. Right. It's just that it's a little bit more, um, I would say, weather-worn than... Okay. And it's also a cultural difference, a very big cultural difference for me coming from where I'm coming from. It's not a tiny house community. So these people are not into tiny house. Okay. So anyway, so there was that one. And then I, I, I go by, which I always do for in, inspiration. And I certainly can mention this, um, Tiny Siesta, yeah. which is in Sarasota, Florida. Um, I've, we've interacted, my business partner, Lisa Salamoni, and I have interacted with with the owner and the manager and been there many times. That is not a full-time living community. It's a resort um, tiny house, right. but it, it's always inspiring to see the physical plant and to see what they do, what they've done there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's um, an unfortunate reality that a developer could make a lot more money developing a tiny house village or community, quote unquote, that is for short-term rentals rather than for long-term. Yes, right, right. And it's, that's where the hybrid model come, what could come in really nicely, that you could be making your money, but you could also be providing. I, and then I had a vision, actually, of a community. It was kind of an epiphany up in Georgia. I was visiting my other son outside Atlanta. We went to a national park, which is actually a very large, they call it an urban national park. It's right outside Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And what I saw there was this beautiful national park and also property where these, what I would call giant mansions have been built on like one to two acre plots. Mm -hmm. And and saw that they are, okay, so so it is a residential national area. I mean, for some, somehow there's a mix there. And my thought was, there's a workforce right here in this national park and supporting the national park with hotels and restaurants and, you know, et cetera. 
And wouldn't it be great if, if, a, if a community could be developed in the national park to house the workforce, the tiny house community? Yeah. So, so that kind of vision of a design, which would be a sustainable community, you know, on site, meeting the needs of everybody, not just the people that want a nice house and the people that want to be in the national park. I love that. That's a great vision. So you live, you live in tiny estates, right? Yes, yes, I do. And, and they are a community that has shifted from the hybrid model of like nightly rentals and some full-timers to, I think, just monthly rentals and full-timers, right? Long-term rental. It has to be more than a month. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, it has to be a month or more. Yes. Okay. So why, why did they, do you know why they changed or are you at liberty to say? Well, I, I think that part of it was just the upkeep and the, the talk about workforce, the manpower to maintain the tiny houses that were, um, that were short-term rental. Yeah. That some of them were Airbnbs, but most of them were owned by the property here and were maintained yep. on the property. And Quite frankly, the damage that was done to these units, um, short-term renters coming in, and it was just a huge, huge job that wasn't really the vision of the owner, I don't think. Yeah. So I'm not speaking for her, but I'm just imagining that, you know, she's in the tiny house business. She's not in the, you know, cleaning up people's mess business. Yeah. I, I I mean I had Abby on the show a long time ago. I I you're making me want to uh invite her back on. Yeah, well she's got a she's got her vision has definitely developed and yeah. And she's got I believe she has sold all of the units off now that were the rental units, either to people that are now residing in them or that are resident managed for the long term mm-hmm. rental. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the full transition. And I believe we're getting near having a full house in this phase she's got another phase coming up to add more site but yeah we've got about 50 houses i think wow and so what's it like living living in a in a community with like 50 other tiny houses 50 other either people or families who are all kind of on board with the tiny house lifestyle well it's very interesting actually because there's there's a very large continuum. I would say a lot of people are here because they it it's it's a good rental option. Um, it's for a lot of people it's still short term. Even the resident owners, it's, this is not something they're planning on doing for the rest of their lives, which is fine. And that's you know that's the way a lot of people are with tiny houses. Yeah. But. Um, So, and there are some of us that are very much interested in moving forward. We have a tiny house builder who I I would love to mention in a minute, who's on site. And he's, he's uh, obviously very engaged in the whole tiny house thing. Uh So there's some of us that, that are what I would call really engaged in the tiny house lifestyle. Yep. But I have to tell you, I don't think there, I don't think it's, it's, pretty expensive for me to live here in terms of my own budget. Yep. However, I have something that you can't buy or pay for. And that is when I look out my window, as I'm doing right now, in the winter, I see 17 tiny houses. That's one window. Yeah. The other window I look out and I see seven tiny houses. And the other one I look out and I see eight tiny houses. 
So for me, just literally being surrounded by this, this dream and this vision and this life has been awesome. <laughs> nice. Nice. What, what is the rent there? If you don't mind me asking. Well, it varies. It depends on your, your house size and your lot okay. size. And it's a, mine is, um, I think it's six fifty a month. Okay. Which in Florida, if, if you can get subsidized housing, which you can, because I'm, I'm 55 plus, et cetera, I was paying 200. Wow. Or, you know, for a similar size lot. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, I didn't have what I just said you can't pay for. Right. <laughs> you, know, right. you can't put a value on. But yeah, so it's, uh, I would say it's, it's absolutely in line with, with probably better, actually, for what you get here with, you know, like if you had to rent, for instance, a studio apartment in the area. Got it. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's a challenge because so many of us come to tiny house living for the affordability of it. But, you know, don't forget that, you know, once you have your tiny house, you're, if you don't own land, which most of us don't, you are going to have to find a place to put it. And that does, that is not going to be free. And in some cases it's not going to be cheap. Yeah. And another interesting thing for cost, if we want to just pause there for a moment I'm paying a whole lot more for insurance here than I paid in Florida. Interesting. I changed companies. So maybe that was part of it. But insurance is another big consideration. And I know that's been yeah. mentioned in many of your podcasts. Yeah, it's, um, it is, it, interestingly, um, so, you know, our insurance on our, our tiny house costs more than our insurance on our small condo. But yeah. like the small condo is a lot bigger than the tiny house, I will say. Yeah. So well we we in the tiny house living don't look at square foot cost very much. Right. We drive right. real estate people crazy and insurance right. people you'll, crazy. <laughs> yeah, you'll cry if you look at those per square foot cost. And and it really to me it, it's just not comparing apples to oranges. You know, it's it's just very different. Yeah. But yeah, definitely site, site cost is an issue. And that's why we're working so hard. And when I say we, a friend, another friend and I, we're starting to look at ordinance and, and zoning change for a local community here. Yeah. And also working very closely then with Thea, who we can mention more um, with the Tiny House Industry Association and their um, legalities and, and zoning training. And when you look at all that, you want to look at the possibilities for ADUs, yep. for auxiliary dwelling units. And even when you talk about community, yep. you know, if you're an ADU tiny house on a property, your community could be all the other ADU tiny houses in that township, for instance. Hmm. So it doesn't have to be contiguous necessarily, but it's the same type of lifestyle and the same commitments that you've made. Yeah. And as far as community gardening and stuff, you could certainly probably find a common space, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So you've talked in, in Tiny House Engage and shared that you are starting to think about your next tiny house. So I'm, I'm curious if you could share, you know, what is your vision for your next tiny house? What, what will be different about it? Well, it'll be significantly smaller. Okay. Why? 
Well, my current one is 24 feet by eight and a half, and I'm gonna go down, I hope, to 16 feet by eight and a half. And it's because I think I will be moving in the future, maybe mm -hmm. once or twice a year, perhaps. I'm not gonna okay. drive around with it behind me and travel in America, but I, I do foresee the possibility of moves. I want that option. And to me, a smaller house for moving, lighter weight, that type of thing makes more sense. And I just, I want to go smaller. I haven't arrived yet, even in this house. I'm still working on downsizing some pretty serious stuff. That'll be ongoing now for another year or so. But I want, I do want to be smaller. And quite frankly, I don't need the space. Um, I just find I'm, I live alone. I'm very comfortable in where I live. and. I like, I love the lifestyle. So, and I do have a builder and a model uh, that we're looking at and uh, he'll at least build the shell. I hope that's the dream. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually helping him right now on two builds that he's doing of the same. So he's doing the same house twice and I'm helping with the photography and videography. And I helped stuff hemp wool insulation yesterday into the steel frame. Nice. So I'm, I'm learning a little bit at a time. And to me, that's another huge key with community. If you want to, if you're interested in community, start getting involved now before you're where you want to be, because it may take you a long time to get where you want to be. But working on this build is I never, ever imagined myself as the DIYer, but I, I love, I'm loving right now learning what I'm learning and seeing what I'm seeing is the bill progresses day by day and he's he's got a time schedule so we're not we're not we're talking hopefully another month nice uh he started it to go so yeah no I love that you said that because my very last interview which will be last week's show with Angela Barnard she just talked about how you know you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with and so you're now surrounding yourself with well, your advice was to surround yourself with the tiny house people and, you know, around the builders, around the community before you, before you need it. Yeah. Yeah. And also for, for maintenance, Ethan, that's been so huge. Yeah. And that's why I've so hugely appreciated the tiny house engaged community, because when I, I worked with my builder right at the beginning to kind of, you know, fix certain things. But when that was no longer an option, and especially when I moved up here, you know, a completely different area. I knew I needed a community to support me. I needed a plumber. I needed people that understood tiny houses and that could support me in my maintenance needs. And that's another consideration to begin early on. Don't wait until your pipe breaks or you've got a leak or whatever. Establish those relationships early on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, the maintenance thing is is such an interesting one because when you're building a new house, you're not I wasn't thinking about maintenance. But, you know, I'm at the point now where like my siding needs to be refinished. And now I'm kind of like, huh. You know, if I had gone with the metal siding or, you know, aluminum siding or vinyl siding, I wouldn't be having to like do all this work. Um and you know, in Vermont so to do my siding, I need like three or four days of clear, dry weather uh, because you have to clean it with this special solution 
and brush and then it has to dry completely and then you have to to restain it and then it has to dry completely again and like anybody who's been to or lived in new england knows that like three you know like it's not easy to get a stretch of dry weather like that yeah yeah well and that's the thing i mean the builds that we're doing are inside which is great they're in a big old barn so they're it's a little tight but uh, i said to him actually the other day he was putting on his siding with his dad was helping him and it was like he had six inches between himself and, and the wall of the house um, and the ladder and the siding and his dad. And I said, you, yeah. you're going to win the prize for, for tightest fit, tiny house build. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So is this the build? This is the builder that you hope to work with as well. Yes. Yes. And his name is Cody and his build, um, his company is called Comac and he's, he's done some very, very creative things, beautiful um, in, interior work. And I just like his small, his small compact design, very functional. Nice. The one big thing that he and I are going to work on developing is that it would be one floor. Um, I I don't want to sleep in a loft. Right. So, but I already have a design for a a Murphy bed desk because I run my business from my home as well. And that works great. And that will fit into, into what we're going to be designing. So. Yeah, I think that the uh, now are you in a loft now in your current house or, or your ground floor? Yeah, my house is one level. Yeah, and I think that that's that is important for not just people who are retirement age. I think that the loft is problematic both for zoning and safety a lot of times. Um, you know, a few weeks ago talking with Jennifer Lavini about egress windows and you know it is difficult to put the proper size window in that loft for for safety reasons and climbing the ladder is is no fun for anyone in the middle of the night um so it's it's cool i i'm looking forward to to seeing your designs as they come together for the the 16 foot well me too for sure (laughs) nice yeah yeah, one thing I was just going to mention too. Um, you might notice that I'm wearing a Operation Tiny House T-shirt. I, I don't work with them. Um, that's Zach Giffen's group. Yep. But I yep. bought this from Zach at a Tiny House Festival about three years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And I love to wear it. And that's another kind of building community concept to get yourself out there and let people know what you're doing and. So often I, I'll mention, I mean, if obviously I mention it in context, but I'll say, yeah, I live in a tiny house and I'm still drawing blanks, interestingly enough, in, in, here in America. It's like, oh, yeah, does that mean like a little house? But on the other hand, obviously, because of Tiny House Nation and other shows, a lot of people know what a tiny house is. But I have to tell you, in Florida, I was sitting in a restaurant about two weeks ago and talking to the person I was eating with. and. This woman came by and she, she like nearly jumped at me like, oh, you're a tiny house person. And at first I forgot I had my shirt on and I'm like, yes, <laughs> but we ended up having a really good talk. And all that just to say that if you let people know what you're into, A, you can help inform the public and B, you never know when you're going to make a friend and you're going to make a contact or somebody that might be interested or you can give them a resource. So it's another way to build community that I, I enjoy doing. That's great. I, I like that advice a lot. So one thing that I like to ask all of my guests, and you've come very prepared because you've 
you've, you know, my game, you know, this question is, uh, what are two or three resources that have helped you on your tiny house journey that, that you would share with our listeners? Yeah. So, um, so I want to mention the tiny house Alliance of Southwest Florida. That is a Facebook page for those that are, are active on social media. And that's the one that my friend started back in 2017, Lisa Salamone, and then we mm-hmm. became friends and business partners. And that's a very good example of kind of a, a regional tiny house builder. And it's not just for people in Florida. We have, I think, of almost 3,000 members now. Wow. People all over, but lots of good information posted and, and um, a great way to be online community. And then there's the conferences we haven't talked at all about conferences or festivals but great way to get connected to see the tiny houses to get resources so i'd like to mention the tinyhouse.com global conference coming up in october and you've got the link there um ethan Mm -hmm. and that's the fourth such conference that they've done and i find those at least to attend one i love going to them every time because there's different people and different presentations Mm -hmm. And then there's the Tiny House Industry Association, which I'm a member of, and I've been doing, uh, attending a lot of their, uh, they just did an amazing new initiative with libraries of all things, Hmm. using uh, the platform of a library, a district library, so lots of libraries, and giving them a Tiny House, kind of Tiny House 101 seminar. So Thea's doing great stuff. Um, they got a lot of legal uh, resources. And then the last one would be the builder I mentioned, just in case people are interested in seeing some creative build. That would be Comac Tiny Homes, which is based here in central Pennsylvania. That's just C-O-M-A-C? C-O-M-A-K, yeah. C-O-M-A-K. And all these resources will be posted on the show notes page for, for the episode, as usual. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Betsy. It's been it's been great to officially interview you for the show. And I'm sure I'll see you in Tiny House Engage maybe later this afternoon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much to Betsy Barber for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including a full transcript, photos of Betsy's tiny house, and more at thetinyhouse.net slash 169. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 169. Thanks again to Precision Temp for sponsoring today's show. Don't forget to head over to precisiontemp.com to learn how Precision Temp can help make tiny living easier. And don't forget to use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.